how would you describe yourself to a sketch artist? What would you focus on? Would you play up or play down the good parts of yourself? Or would you play up or play down your blemishes, right? The wrinkles, the scars, and all of that. What would that sketch look like? Let's go a little bit deeper. How would you describe to a sketch artist, if you could, your inner self, your soul, the part that nobody really knows about you? What would that look like? What would that look like? Let me go a little bit deeper, okay? How would you describe to a sketch artist the way you think God sees you? What would that sketch look like? Does God see the back of your head only because you never see him? Does God think I am radiant and I'm the most beautiful person he's ever created? Does a picture look like uh, God looks at you and he thinks you're cute but you're kind of annoying? Okay. Uh, does God see dirt all over your face? Does God see something that really doesn't reflect him at all, actually? Does God see something that actually disgusts him? Does God see an absolute failure? Does God see a loser? Or does God not even see you at all? What does that picture look like for you? I am willing to bet that there are a lot of people here if you saw their sketch, it would look like, um, it seems like God is disappointed, God is upset, but God is maybe even angry at you. The picture you see of yourself is someone who is not really loved, actually. You may be even kind of forgotten. All right? If that's you, and I know, listen, I don't like BS, so be honest with me, all right? I know there are people like that here. Don't lie to me. And if that's you, I just want you to know, that's a lie. That image you have of yourself is an absolute lie. It's a flat-out lie. The focus of my talk this morning is, is on this. The truth and the lies about your value and worth. I'm going to basically break it down into three parts. What are the lies that impact your value? How do I identify the lies in your life? And how do we deal with the lies in our life? All right? Now, there are two things I know about lies. One, all lie. Every single lie that comes in our life or that comes out of our mouth comes from the devil. Wow. Okay. In John chapter 8, verse 44, Jesus is talking to a group of Pharisees, and he says this. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth. Because there is no truth in him, when he lies, he speaks out of his own character. For the devil is a liar and he is the father of lies. Every single lie that is spoken over you, in you, out of you, all of it originates from the devil. I want you to know that. It's not from you, it's from him. He's the father of lies. And the second thing I want you to know about lies is this. They're powerful, man. 
absolutely powerful. Whatever you choose to believe in, whatever you choose to hold on to, whether it's a truth or a lie, you give power to it in your life, whether you like it or not. And if you choose to believe in lies, this is what's going to happen, folks, and this is the truth. It will enslave you. Let me give you an example. When a parent tells their kid, listen, you're no good. You're no good. If a child believes that lie, how does it affect that kid? Really? How does it affect that kid? Probably feel insignificant, insecure. Probably won't feel worthy to be loved or cared for, right? And I'm willing to bet there are some of you here, you know exactly what that feels like. Now on the flip side, if you agree with the truth, the truth, the Bible says the truth will set you free. If you abide in my word, uh, in the NIV, it says if you hold on to my teaching, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. That word abide in or in the NIV, hold on to. It comes from this Greek word meno, which means to remain in, to stay in, to dwell in. You are deeply rooted in one location. You don't move. You're deeply rooted. So if you're deeply rooted in the truth, right, what does that mean? Uh, I mean first of all, I mean, you've you got to read the truth, right? You've got to believe the truth, right? You've got to speak the truth over you. You won't be swayed back and forth by lies. And I mean, listen, I believe Jesus when he says, if you believe my truth, the truth will set you free. I believe that. He said it, so I believe it. The truth will set you free from lies in your life. Now here's the truth I want you guys to know. If you're not going to get anything, I want you to get this. And I'm going to go back to this throughout my talk again and again and again. Your value and your worth is not dependent on your accomplishments or your success. Your value and your worth is not dependent on what other people think of you, whether they like you or not. Your value and your worth is not dependent on how much power you have, how much control you have in this world. But this is it, guys. This is it. The issue of your value, the issue of your worth is solely based on what Jesus did on the cross. Amen? The value of your worth was settled on the cross. Galatians 2 says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the one who lives in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself to me. Listen, if you want to know how much you are worth to God, look to the cross. Look to the cross. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of who loved me and gave himself to me. The issue, repeat after me, the issue, listen, I came back from a retreat on Sunday and those kids were really loud and they repeated after me, okay? So, come on. The issue of my value and worth was settled on the cross. If you believe this, you are on solid ground. Amen? If you believe this, you are on solid ground. Again, whatever you agree with, whether it's a truth or a lie, you get power to in your life. If we believe, if we choose to believe in the lies, it will enslave us, it will condemn us, 
it will tear us down. If we choose to, be, to hold on to the truth, it will set free, it will empower, it builds up, it strengthens and has the power to heal. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? I sure hope so. And the critical step in identifying the lies in our life is becoming self-aware of what I call false self. All right? What's a false self? Basically, it's a mask, a cover-up. All right? Uh, we, we are all experts at putting on masks. Let's be real. So the false self is something that tries to cover up the real condition of the soul, right? It covers up the areas you don't want other people to see. So what am I talking about? I'm talking about the vulnerable spots of your life. The pain. The guilt and the shame. Guilt says, I messed up. Shame says, I am a mess up. We're talking about wounds. We're talking about hurts. Folks, where there is a lie in your life, you better believe there is a false self attached to it. Always. Always. All right? Now look at the person next to you and with a smile on your face say, you have a false self. You have a false self, yeah. I think I see some spouses smirking out there, out there, seeing the thing out there. Alright? Now, let me give you what I think are probably the three most common false self out there, okay? Number one is this, success and performance. Now the lie attached to this mask, to this false self says this, I am not loved, I am not worthy for who I am, so I have to earn it, right? So the false self, the mask, when you put it on, it says this, I am loved, I am valuable, I am worthy when I produce significant, awesome results. I am worthy when I am top in sales. I am worthy when I close the important case. I am important and worthy when I close the important deal. When I clock in 60 hours at work this week, when I clean the dishes every day, when I walk the dog every day, when I change the diapers, vacuum the house, wash the dishes, wash the lunches, cook an awesome meal, all before 5 p.m. Right? I am worthy when I do that. I am loved when I am the best son, when I am the best daughter, when I am the best boyfriend, best girlfriend, best husband, best wife, best parent, best person, period. That is when I feel loved and valuable. For me, growing up, um, in, in my younger days, I'm young, but I mean, whatever. In my younger days, when I was in youth group, whatever, whatever, whatever. Um, I was part of, I'm, listen, I went to, I think I went, there was like a stretch of 10 years when I went to mission trips every single year. I was part of the worship team, the prayer team, the outreach team, the retreat planning team. I went to church at, at least once during the week. And helping out on Saturdays was a must, right? Because that's what real Christians do. All right? And going to Sundays, that's a given. All right? My nickname growing up, and this is a true story, my nickname growing up was Church Boy. All right? My nickname growing up was Church Boy. In high school, I was referred to as Church Boy. And listen, growing up me with a performance-centered false self, I loved it when people called me Church Boy. I wore that thing like a badge of honor, okay? Like, if I had a, I wish I had a patch that said church boy. I would have put that thing on my jacket and wore it every single day. When people called me that, I found incredible pride. I was, I found incredible sense of worth and value. When someone called me church boy, I felt really at ease because they saw the good side of me. They saw the production that I put out. 
but they didn't see the real junk in the soul. They didn't see the judgmental, critical man that it was. Now, here's a problem with performance and success, okay? Here's a problem. When I produce great results, I feel awesome. I feel really good about myself. Now, but forget about when I screw up, okay? What if I, if I just produce mediocre results, I feel like crap. But forget failing, all right? When I just do enough, I don't feel good about myself. So what do I do? I make up for it. I have to produce more. I have to do more. What I say to myself is this. I have to do more, then I will be liked more, or I will be loved more, I will be appreciated more, and maybe I will be forgiven more. The focus is completely on me. The lie attached to this says, I am loved and worthy when I produce, when I succeed. But the truth says this, the issue of my value was settled on the cross. Amen? The issue of my value was settled on the cross. Romans 5, God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for you, for me. Therefore, since we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Church, listen, 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 listen. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about what we can accomplish but it's all about what Jesus accomplished on the cross. Can you say amen to that? It's all about what Jesus accomplished on the cross. While I was still a sinner, while you were a dirty, rotten sinner, He died for us. I cannot justify my worth. You can't justify your worth. Now listen, as I was preparing the sermon, I, true story, okay, yesterday I was home, I was, getting, I was being filled with anxiety. As I was preparing this sermon. You know why? Because the thought was filling my mind, will this be good enough for this church, this talk? Right? I felt I had to justify my sense of worth as a preacher by how good I preached to you. Performance. Total performance. Right? I can't justify my worth by what I can do. My value and worth is justified only by what Jesus did on the cross. Amen. That's it. We have now been justified by his blood. By his death, we are reconciled to God. Folks, in, only in Jesus, we are justified. Only in Jesus, we are reconciled to the Father. Only in Jesus, we are accepted. Only in Jesus, we are loved. Only in Jesus, we are worthy. Period. Amen? All right, you're kind of hot, but come on, say amen. Thank you. Awesome. Number two is this. People-pleasing. Now, I know none of you are this, okay? I know none of you are this. But just in case if you do have it, then let's talk about it, all right? The lie attached to this mask says this. I am not valuable for who I am. So you put on this false self, and the false self says this. My worth is found in other people's approval of me. Now, for me, um, I don't need the approval of everyone here, all right? So it's not that I don't like you. But I don't need your approval. However, there are a select group of people I really need their approval in my life. Uh, growing up, my youth pastor was one of those people. All right? Now, I think 
I think I really needed his approval because uh, he was the first guy to really invest heavily in my life. And so I really didn't want to disappoint him. I really wanted him to like me. So I did everything he told me to do, all right? Now, this is when I'm in youth group, like high school, okay? So I would go to 5.30 morning prayer services with my youth pastor because he told me to do it, and I don't want to disappoint him, all right? I would vacuum the sanctuary every single week. I printed out the Sunday bulletins every week. I would set up the chairs on Wednesday service, Friday service, Sunday service, because that's what obedient people do. And, I mean, I mean, I can, like, seriously, the list can go on and on and on and on. I did everything he told me to do because I needed his approval. I needed him to like me. If he didn't like me, I felt awful. And, of course, I mean, come on, man, I mean, I'm a human being. I, I, would, I dropped many responsibilities as his right-hand man. And when I did, man, I, I felt terrible. Seriously, it would actually ruin my day when I forgot to do something for him. Like literally, it would ruin my day. And when I disappointed him, it was interesting, more lies would start filling my head. Lies, it sounded like this, I can't do anything right, so he, can't, he must not trust me anymore. I wonder if he's going to throw me away and pick up someone else. Just these lies, lies. Now, here's a problem with people-pleasing. I can do... Now, listen, guys, all right? I can, I can do something really awesome today, and you guys will applaud me. Great job. But I could do the same thing next week, and you'll say, eh, that was okay. Or I could do the same thing next month, and you go, ah, oh, yeah, that was uh, not that great. People are really fickle, right? The applause of man is very, very fickle. Moods, attitudes change like this. And the focus with this false self is not you, but others. So the lie says this, I am valuable when everyone likes me, but again, the truth, the issue of my value and worth was settled on the cross. Romans 8, I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers, present things or things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, anything in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Guys, it's not about you. That's good news, right? It's not about you, man. Because of Jesus, the Father's love for you, the Father's love for me is constant. It is constant. That's good news. That's really good news. You can be a lousy husband this week, but his love for you is constant. You could be a lousy wife, you, but the father's love for you is constant. You can be an absolute failure at work with your friends, with your spouse. You could, you could be the most hypocritical person on the face of earth, but the Father's love for you is constant. Isn't that good news, church? Amen? That's good news, man. That's good news. And the third false self is this. Power. Control. The lie attached to this mask says this. I am, va- no, I'm sorry. I am not valuable unless I have power. 
unless I have control. So you put on this mask, right? And the mask says this, my worth and value is found in my position of influence, power, and control over other people. Now, uh, this isn't one of my big ones, but I know plenty of folks who struggle with this. I mean, I, I have a lot, actually some of my close friends struggle a lot with this. And, and I know folks who find worth in titles. They find worth in Director Chung. They found worth in coordinator, vice president, president, CFO, CLO, COO, CEO, and every C blank O there is to mankind. Right? They find their worth in title. I know some people, they feel respect and worth only when they're in control. They feel significant when they have the power to tell other people what to do. So, like this, they feel valued when they control the office environment. They feel valued and worthy when they control their friendships. They feel valued when they control their relationships. They control their marriage. They feel valuable when they control their kids. That's when they feel valued. And I hear this often, okay? I don't feel important unless I can call the shot. I I hear that often from people. I don't feel valued unless I can call the shot. But here's a problem with power and control. I think it's kind of, I think twofold. One, power and control is kind of like, well, I don't want to do that. It's kind of like when you pour water in your hand, it's just really difficult to hold on to. And I think a real good case in point is, I mean, uh, yeah, like this woman, Paula Dean, this celebrity chef, she made one comment long time ago because of that one wrong comment. She's lost so much. She's lost endorsements. She's lost merchandise. I mean, she's lost millions upon millions of dollars. Her empire took an enormous hit. I mean, talk about losing power. Talk about losing control. It's really hard to hold on to. And another thing about power is it's, I think once you have it, it's never enough, right? You want more. Um, have you ever seen that the AT&T commercial with that grown man in a school classroom with, with little children? All right? And the grown man goes, so who thinks more is better than less? And the little girl answers, we want more, we want more, we really like it, we really want more. Right? You, you know what I'm talking about? Right? It's really, really adorable, right? And the guy's like, yeah, I totally hear you. And now, I think that's so, it's, it's so indicative of our nature, isn't it? It's in our nature to just want more. You can never have enough power. We will always lust after the boss. I want his position. I want his power. It's not enough that I'm this. I want that. It's never satisfied. Never satisfied. So the lie attached to this is I am worthy when I have power and control. But again, the truth, the issue of my value and worth was settled on the cross. Romans 3. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Church, God does not seek to use His powers to manipulate you, to overpower you into loving Him, nor can we use our power and control to maybe somehow manipulate Him to love us more. The fact of the matter is this, God brings us into a loving relationship with Him through the most generous act of love, a gift through Jesus. Amen? That's a gift. Again, it's not about you, man. It's not about you. 
So we talked about the three common false selves, performance, people-pleasing, power control. We talked about the lies that taught that, uh, I'm sorry, the lies about our value. We talked about the truth about our value, issue of my value will settle at the cross. So now let's talk about what are some clues? How can we identify, I'm almost done here, identify someone that's false self? And number one is this, defensive behavior. Uh, here's a good quote by David Benner. He said this, because of its fundamental unreality, the false self needs constant bolstering. Touchiness points us to false ways of being. What does that mean? The false self is very, very sensitive. It's kind of like a splinter, all right? Now, I'm pretty sure all of you have experienced having splinters in your hand or your feet or whatever. It's probably one of the most annoying things in the world, right? For such a small thing, when it's in you, it's so sensitive, right? And if you just apply a little bit of pressure, I mean, it hurts a lot. Now, let's just say there, there is a splinter in my thumb, okay, right there. And let's say I, I, I apply small amount of pressure all around my body. It doesn't hurt. But when I apply the same pressure on the splinter, I get a totally disproportional reaction, right? The pain level is completely like off the charts compared to this, right? In the same way, when someone or something touches your false self, it will produce a disproportional reaction. Let me give you an example, all right? I told you one of my false self is performance. And now when I tend to get defensive, now I'm being really open with you guys right now, okay? I tend to get defensive when people question my performance. I do, all right? And this happened actually quite recently. Uh, what happened was someone at work questioned my work and he offered a different way of doing it and he gave valid reasons behind it. He never attacked me, nothing. It was just, it was, you know, hey, I, th- I think this is, I think this, consider this way. Nothing wrong with it. Now for me, listen, for me, when someone questions my decision making, when someone questions my performance, this is what I do. And I'm being completely vulnerable right now, right? Unconsciously, I will judge you. Unconsciously, I will evaluate you. This is what I do. I will evaluate your character. And then I will evaluate your accomplishments. Basically, I, in my mind, I look at your life resume. Okay? And then what I do, I compare that with my life resume. And if I feel your life resume looks better than mine, then I will really consider what you have to say. But, if I feel you're not up to my level, in my mind I'll say, yeah, shut up whatever. Now, of course, I didn't say that to this guy. I was, I was very cordial. Hey, thanks, man. I'll take that into consideration. But in my mind, I'm like, yeah, okay. Okay, sure. Right? I think that's what you call pride. Judgmental. Right? Being judgmental. Or I call it a donkey syndrome, but I use another word for that. So, I, I evaluated this guy, alright? In my mind, I checked him out, and I deemed he's not at my level. So I said, thank you. But in my mind, I said, forget you. Right? All he did, all he did was just give me a helpful suggestion. But I reacted as if he, like, punched my mom or something. Right? Like, like who are you, bro? <laughs> you know? Like, completely disproportional reaction. Right? When I see my defensiveness, I know something's wrong. Something or someone touched a place in my inner being that was not on firm foundation. Listen. 
We are never defensive when we are on firm foundation. I want you to know that. We are never defensive when we are on secure foundation. We are only defensive when a part of us is on shaky ground. A lie. And so we have to cover it up by attacking others, by pushing away to make us feel better. When I'm defensive, I have to ask myself what's going on because, dude, seriously, the issue is not me. Oh, no, no, it is me. The issue is not my decision. The issue is not that person, but it's really my insecurity, right? It's really the pride in me. It's the lie that says my worth is found in validation from other people. It's the lie that my worth is tied to my performance. When I am operating out of the false self, I'm on shaky foundation. To get back on the solid ground, I have to remind myself my value, my worth was settled at the cross. And um, as, as I was preparing... <laughs> That's kind of ironic because as I was preparing the sermon, remember I told you I was feeling anxious? I was feeling anxiety because I was, I was wondering how you guys would judge my performance, my sermon. And literally, as I'm preparing the sermon, I'm closing my eyes periodically and saying, my value was settled at the cross. Literally, I was doing that. That's what we got to do as well. That's what we got to do as well. All right? Another clue. Pettiness. The thing or things that bother me about others, it usually points towards something about me, my false self. So let me give you two examples, all right? Laziness. If a lazy person bothers you, it probably means there's something in you that's not right, all right? It might point to a performance-centered false self. And I'm speaking from personal experience, okay? I judge lazy people. I judge lazy people. Especially folks who are out of college, who stay home with mom and dad. They don't work. All they do is play video games all day. They watch TV. They don't contribute anything to the family home. They just suck resources from mom and dad. All right? I judge them. You know why I judge them? Because it's a reflection of my performance-centered false self. That's what it is. How about this? Oh, legalism. People who are legalistic might struggle with performance and people-pleasing, right? You have to do things a certain way, right? A legalistic Christian might say, I mean, listen, forget about getting drunk. You can't drink, right? Nor can you smoke. You can't even listen to secular music because that's Satan music, all right? You can't even listen to or watch secular shows because that's really bad. You have to go to church on Sundays, Wednesdays, Fridays, morning prayer meetings. That's what real Christians do. Right? Anyone here know anyone like that? No? Okay, some are, some are laughing at that thing. Okay, maybe it's you. I don't know. But if you're legalistic, what does that point to in you? Maybe there's a lack of self-acceptance in your life. Right? Maybe. And I think this one applies to me. Maybe you, don't, you just don't feel secure in God's grace for you, so you don't extend it to other people. Right? That's, that's what I do. That's what I do a lot, actually. The false self says, I am worthy when I do the right thing. The true self says, I am loved by the Father no matter what. The issue of my value was settled on the cross. Amen. All right? Compulsive behavior. Now, (laughs) 
What we are compulsive about, I think generally speaking, points to the areas of greatest need in our life, right? Let me just give you one example, because for time's sake, buying and collecting stuff. Now, can you raise your hand if you know someone who just has an awful problem with throwing away things? Can you raise your hand, please? Raise your hand if you know someone who, who has a hard time throwing away stuff. Okay. Okay. Raise your hand if that's you. Okay, thanks for your honesty. Okay, good. <laughs> okay. Right? I mean, do you know anyone who refuses to throw away things? Um, sometimes people who grew up with deprivations, uh, those who had little or nothing, sometimes they feel the need to collect things. Why? I think it's a sense of insecurity. What I mean by it is this. They know, they've experienced what life is like with nothing or little. So when they finally have something, they're scared to lose it. So they have to hold on to it. And then all of a sudden, things pile up. Compulsive behavior. The false self says, my value depends on what I have, what I can accumulate. The true self says, even if I have nothing, the issue of my value was settled on the cross. Amen? Amen. And the last thing I'll talk about is, and this is actually my favorite, my favorite way of identifying lies in my life, it is this. I call it spirit-led journaling. Now, I know some people, you, you hear the word journaling, and immediately, like, you, you hear, like, the scratching of your nail on a chalkboard, right? That's, like, the last thing you want to do, right? Journaling is the last thing you want to do. I know for some men, journaling is kind of, kind of sounds a little feminine, but whatever, right? For me, it's done wonders for me in really identifying some junk lies in my life. So what exactly is spirit-led journaling, right? This is basically what it is. The first step is this. You sit alone with God, and you cut out distractions. We live in a time with a ton of noise. Let me give an example, all right? I bet a typical day at your house looks like this, okay? The TV is on, so there's noise from that, okay? As you're watching TV, you're checking your email. As you're checking your email, you may be texting someone. As you're texting someone, you might be playing a game. Maybe words of friends. I don't know. Okay? At the same time, you're also checking your Facebook, your Twitter, your Vine, your news, CNN, USA Today, whatever. Alright? And around that time, you're also holding a conversation with your, your friend or your spouse or your kids. Alright? Our attention is split in so many different directions. Right? It's very difficult, folks, to connect with God in the midst of chaos, in the midst of distractions, when we have not learned to cultivate it in the quiet. I'm going to say that again, because I don't think you got it. It's really hard to connect with God when there's a lot of noise around you, when you didn't even learn how to cultivate it when you're in the stillness before Him. Amen? Does that make sense to you? Does that make sense to you? So this is what I'm talking about. Listen, shut off that TV. Turn off your cell phone. Turn off your tablet. Turn off your laptop. And tell everyone to get out of the room. Just you and God. And then you ask God, what are the hidden areas in my life? What am I holding on to, God? Why am I acting this way? Why am I so defensive? Why am I so judgmental? Why am I so petty? Why am I so compulsive? What am I so obsessed with this thing? Why am I angry? Why am I so depressed? 
what is underneath all of these things? And then after you ask, listen. Just listen. Believe it or not, God speaks to you. When people say, I can't hear God, the issue is never God. The issue is you. Can we be honest with that? God speaks. We just don't listen. We just don't listen. Listen to what God has to say. And also, ask these questions. What were the statements I heard growing up? What are some of those phrases I often heard as I was growing up? I know a lot of folks who grew up with parents, who grew up with teachers or leaders, who have said stuff like, you won't amount to much. I know folks who grew up hearing from their folks saying that you're stupid. Get out of my face. For me, when I was young, I often heard this phrase from my dad. Why don't you get this? Why don't you get this? Why can't you get this? Um, One of my earliest memories of this was when I was, I think, like nursery, kindergarten age. Now, you know, I'm Korean, and for some whatever reason, I guess my dad thinks Koreans need to learn math at an accelerated rate. So when I was in nursery, in our dingy little New York City apartment, okay, we, he had a little whiteboard, and he tried to teach me division and multiplication, all right? I'm in nursery for crying out loud, okay? Now, I couldn't get it. I, for the life of me, I couldn't get it. And my dad was getting frustrated. He got angry at me, and he started yelling at me, why don't you get this? Why can't you get this? Folks, hear me. When you're young and your parent says, or they yell at you, actually, why don't you get this? Why can't you do this? What does that do to a child? What does that do to a child? I'll tell you what it did to me, okay? I felt really stupid. I felt really dumb. And not just that, I felt incredibly insecure in my intellect. I, Dad, I, I can't get it because I'm dumb. I'm just stupid. I felt really insecure in my abilities. I felt my dad was disappointed in me because I was dumb. And honestly, and honestly, I really think that was the root in my performance-centered false self. Seriously. Now, some people grew up with this. I think for some others, you grew up with the complete opposite, right? You're the hero of the family. You're going to be great. You heard something like this. Honey, you're going to go to Harvard one day, become a doctor and a lawyer, you'll be successful. Honey, you're going to save our family. Honey, you are going to bring honor to the family name. You're going to be great. You're going to get straight A's. You're going to get, actually no, 1600 is the old SAT form. It's 2400 now, right? You're going to get 2400 on your SATs. You're a genius. Yeah. Now, listen, if you grew up, I'm pretty sure some of you grew up with this. When you grow up with that kind of... uh, uh, um, a track playing in your head again and again and again. How do you feel? How do you feel? Pressure, right? You feel pressure to perform. Your value, I, I, I mean, I know, man, I'm one of my best friends. He is like so paralyzed by pressure to perform because that's all he grew up with. His value was tied to his performance. Now, I want to make it really clear 
I want to make this really, really clear. I am not saying, parents, please hear me, okay? I'm not saying, do your, when you say do your best to your kid, I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm not saying that at all, okay? That's actually, there's nothing wrong with telling your kid, do your best. But the problem lies in how we process this stuff. And unfortunately, I feel like a lot of people process it like unhealth, in an unhealthy way. Unfortunately, I think a lot of people tie their identity to these statements of, do your best, you're going to go to Harvard, you're going to be a doctor. Does that make sense to you? Can you shake your head? Okay, thank you. And how about this? Self-talk. Self-talk. Pay attention to the phrases that keep going through your mind. I told you the phrase I heard when I grew up was, why can't you get this? So when I grew up, the self-talk I had in my head was this. Danny, you're not smart enough. Danny, you can't do this. And to this day, I hear that, I hear that track all the time. All the time. When I'm preparing for the sermon, I hear that track in my head. You're not smart enough. Whenever I'm given a challenging task at work, I hear that track. You're not smart enough. You're not smart enough. Now, I'm happy to say that God brought a lot of healing in this area of my life, but I still hear that track in my head sometimes. You're not smart enough. You're not smart enough. If I focus on the lie, I get stressed, I get anxious, I get nervous, I get angry sometimes. I'm on shaky foundation. But if I stand on the solid ground, the issue of my value was settled on the cross that puts me on firm ground. I do not move. And I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go. So folks, track the things that you've heard, heard, heard. Track the things that people say to you. Just track it. Journal it. And I'll close with this. Church, if you want to break the lies in our life, if you want to break the lies of your value and worth, again, go back to the true foundation. The issue of your value was settled on the cross. It's, listen, it doesn't depend on your performance it doesn't matter how awesome you are or how awful you are. It doesn't depend on how many people like you. It does not depend on your power. It doesn't depend on how much control you have. The issue of my value and my worth, my identity, was settled on the cross. Amen? It's a gift. Absolute gift. 100% grace-based gift. God likes me. God loves me. That's more than enough. Period. Is this registering to you guys? Like, you, you guys getting this? You guys? Okay, good, good. It's not about you. Alright? So look to the person next to you. Say, I'm loved. Yeah, you're loved. Alright? It's not about you. It's about what Jesus accomplished on the cross. Can I get an amen out of that? Alright? So when you find yourself living on faulty foundation, when you find yourself, you know, when you, when you identify a false self emerging or manifesting, you find yourself on faulty ground, just remind yourself the issue of my value and my worth was settled on the cross. So I'm going to end with this. Alright? What makes you feel the most vulnerable? What makes you feel like running for cover? 
What image or images of yourself do you try to protect at all costs? What are those images? What are you most proud of? How do you use these things that you're really proud of to fend off feelings of vulnerability? Fill in the blank, guys. The issue of my value is dependent on what's that lie? What's the lie that you've been telling yourself? And maybe come up with the truth slogan. And that's my truth slogan. My accomplishments are redeemed at the cross. I'm going to give you guys just one minute. Just look at that question. Just kind of think about it. If the worship team can come up. for these questions I want you to think about this now okay but God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners Christ died for you for me since therefore we have now been justified by his blood much more shall we be saved by him in the wrath of God For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life. The issue of your value, the issue of your worth was settled on the cross. For those guys, for those who have faith in Jesus. Let me just say this. I asked you in the beginning of my message, if God, if you could paint a picture of how you think God looks at you, what would that look like? Alright? When God looks at you, He does not see the back of your head. He does not see the dirt all over your face, dirt all over your life. He does not see shame. He does not see guilt. He does not see someone who disgusts him. He does not see someone who is a failure. He does not see a loser. He does not see an awful husband, an awful wife. He does not see an awful mom or awful dad. He sees his son Jesus in you. And he says to you, justify. He calls you innocent. He calls you precious. He calls you worth. He calls you valuable. He calls you priceless. He calls you beloved. This is how God sees you. This is how the Father sees you. This is your true self in Christ. Amen? So don't live from your false self. Go after the lies 
in your life. Keep your eyes on Jesus. The issue of your value, the issue of your worth was settled on the cross. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. Holy Spirit, I I sense you're moving right now in people's hearts. Father, would you begin to unearth the lies that have been spoken over people? Father, would you please expose the lies that have crippled your church? The lies that have kept us from living a life of freedom in Jesus. Father, by your grace, help us to fix our eyes on your son Jesus, in whom we have worth, in whom we have value. We thank you, Father, for your son. Our value, our worth, was settled on the cross. Pray these things in Christ's name.